Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to have you with me today. Also with me is Martha Botas Dunnigan. You know, not everything in life has a big happy ending like it does in the movies, television. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. I'll let her fill it in. But uh, this whole story begins at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial on November 13, 1982. Uh, she was there at the dedication. She met a guy named Mike Creamer, quite, quite a person. I mean, this guy had been with the 75th Rangers, an elite unit of the United States Army, did a couple of tours in Vietnam, and uh, he had a lot of difficulties from his military experience. And, but, you know, love leads to marriage. They had a child together, and unfortunately, the, the child died ten and a half months later, really, really, in all probability, from uh, injuries due to Agent Orange, which was used extensively in the areas where he operated. Uh, and not all marriages survive the death of a child. It's, uh, it's absolutely a fact. So uh, they got separated, they had problems, and then the war came along. I'm talking about the war in Iraq, the bombing of Iraq in 1991. Once that started, he completely became unglued uh, because he couldn't stop the war. Uh, he was having PTSD. Everything was sort of falling apart for him. And, uh, you know, he kicked the television set and went through all that sort of thing. And then uh, he went home. But in fact, the reason he went home was to get his gun shotgun and he went to uh, a secluded area and laid all his medals and his black beret there and, and he pulled the trigger and took his life. So there are a lot of issues here and uh, there was the military, the army, everyone, Veterans Administration, everyone's concerned about post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, at this time, Martha, tell us your story. Tell me what I've missed. and. Uh, you have the floor. Sure. Um, so I think one of the key things that happened for Mike is that the day he came home, he came home uh, from his unit being uh, dis, uh, disassembled. Uh, he was with the 173rd Airborne, and they were some of the first people out once the Paris Peace Corps were mumbling along, um, but he um, he got sent home early, and he didn't tell his parents that he was coming until he got to San Francisco, and then he called, and his mother threw this party together, and he uh, didn't want a party, but he was coming in from Boston uh, to his, his house in Massachusetts, and boom, uh, his dad didn't show up and his dad didn't show up and his dad didn't show up. And the truth of the matter is, is that his dad was a World War II um, vet. He was also in reconnaissance. He had a tough role to play and um, he probably couldn't take it. Uh, they never spoke to the dad again. 
Um, and I think that was a heartbreak for Dennis because I, I read some of the letters home. I mean, he loved his dad. He, it was a, a life, a, a military life that probably would have continued on. Um, but he, he didn't have that homecoming. Um, Mike was pretty desperate throughout most of his life. He ended up being, um, after Vietnam, he went to Africa. He did, uh, he worked for uh, Morrison Knudsen there and he, um, was a medic. He, he treated the locals as well as the, the team there. And, um, but he was out of the picture. He wasn't in America. In fact, when he, uh, lived in Connecticut where, where our house was, um, I was living in, I was living in, uh, Somers, New York at the time and kind of shuttling back and forth to see him because he was so distraught and, um, he didn't have a television. He, uh, he kicked everything else in, <laughs> but he didn't have a television. And I think if he had had a television, he, he would have, um, kicked it in. He, um, I, I think there's a big thing about coming home and figuring out what your life is going to be without the army. And for him, those years in the army, um, you know, he did something and he did it with these guys and that was important to him. So when he went to the Let's go back to November 13th, 82. You know, that was the last thing he was going to do. He, he pretty much had become so disheartened with life that um, he, uh, he was going to go see the guys on the wall and then he was going to come home and, and take his life. And boom, he met me and I was from his hometown and we had done theater together and um, we were old friends, even though he didn't recognize me. Um, and, um, and that was that. Yeah. So he was going to go to the dedication of the wall, look at the names of his buddies and go home and take his wife. Right. News, or this romance, this sort of, sort of rescued them. Right. I guess so. Um, we started writing right away. Um, the book opens with me calling his house, his mother's house. You know, I guess it's hard to live with your mother, too, when you're uh, I was 32. He was 31. Um, and um, the economy was crap then. It was uh there were no jobs and there were no opportunities for these vets. And um, so his, his prospects were pretty desolate, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. I guess, I guess to some degree I was the rescue. I invited him for Thanksgiving. He came and we um, started our relationship. I'm just curious, Martha. How, how do you explain his opposition to the uh, war in Iraq? It seemed like it was very dramatic. It sort of set him back. 
Well, Mike went back into the army in between Vietnam and our meeting at the wall. Um, he, he wrote three pieces for um, the 173rd reunion, uh, the book, the, the yearbook. And they, you know, he was writing about very dangerous, awful things. He was writing about the hundred and the uh, Hill 875. Yes. You know, which was a terrible battle where, um, where the 173rd lost most of their men. I think there was at least one Medal of Honor winner there. I don't know if there were two. Um, and he, he kind of got revived from it all. He, he, got, he got the piss and vinegar in him. And he thought he could go back. He enlisted in the army without telling me. Um, called me up and said, "I I, I enlisted. I'm going to go back on the the 23rd of October." And um, and that taught him a lot. He had to go through basic again. Um, Jan, you know that's that's hellacious. Um, he had been out long enough he never got his he never got his uh his uh what do they rank back um but he we continued writing all the way through this whole thing where he's in the army and he's seeing things that he doesn't he doesn't agree with he doesn't agree with the management of the army he doesn't agree with with the the legs who which is a, a non-airborne uh, uh, member of the service. You know, he was he didn't agree with how he was being taught and how he was being raised in the army. And he thought that he was really going to be able to make a difference in the army. And he didn't. Yeah. It sounds like there's a, he went through periods of being very manic mania, high energy sort of thing. You know, um, Mike was a quiet little guy. He was only five, 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 six, blonde, skinny. Um, and there were those periods of him being somewhat manic. I mean, he, he could talk a blue streak. Um, he would win every um uh trivial pursuit game imaginable but but he i think that was coming out of a certain shyness and also he read more than anybody read so he knew everything and um and i think he didn't necessarily have someone who was listening to him in the service yeah. Um, I, I think that was the big key. I, I went down to to the wall to to find out about guys who went in. I mean, I was interviewing people who, you know, avoided the draft, who did everything they could to to stay out of the war. And Mike said at one point in the book, he said, you know, I I couldn't get there fast enough. Yeah. So. Um, the manicness, mm, I think he wanted to show people what he knew 
And um, yeah. and he stayed up all night trying to persuade Congress not to approve the. Didn't bond. have that many opportunities. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, worth noting how devastating suicide is to people, to the people who love someone. I mean, how did it affect you and the common, the friends you had in common? Well, um, you know, almost from the start of our relationship, uh, he, we talked about suicide. He confessed to me it was going to be the last thing he was going to do. Yeah. He took steps to remediate that. He figured out what he was going to do when he got praise, when he got, he got um, attention, he, he, he felt good. Um, I had already lost my baby. So my loss was enormous from that. I mean, she lived for 10 and a half months. I got close to her, not that she spoke or anything, but I got close to her and Mike didn't get close to her. Mike stayed in Connecticut most of the time. There was a landing zone at the hospital for uh, patients and that killed him. I mean, the rotors of the... I see, yeah. Yeah. So uh, his suicide... It almost was inevitable. I mean, that's what a lot of his friends said. And that's a terrible thing to say. He was in therapy with the VA. He, that didn't necessarily help him. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a dark hole. And for me, I climbed out of it by, um, we had an ad hoc um, governor's group um, who were together, we were sorting out how we were going to help the vets because it was rampant. There were a lot of deaths then. Um, and uh, I worked with Mike's counselor, Jim Tackett. I worked with the governor of Connecticut. Um, we had several vets in the group, um, all of whom are dead at this point. It's surprising that um, but you know, I think Vietnam vets one way or another commit suicide to a large degree. Mm -hmm. I mean, my friend Gary drank himself to death. Um, I hardly have a Vietnam vet I can talk to now who was my friend back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. they're not around. They're, mm -hmm. they're fading fast. Yeah. Well, I've been doing these podcasts for uh, about eight months now, and, and I have been interviewing the very extremely successful Vietnam veterans as well. Uh, Marsh Carter, mm -hmm. chairman of the New York Stock Exchange, uh, Christos Katsakos, an infantryman who started E-Trade. And, uh, but uh, an awful lot of people don't <laughs> go into successful lives. And there's an elevated risk of suicide for these young people who come back from Afghanistan and, and Iraq and so yep. forth. So uh, it's unfortunate. And uh, all we can do is observe it and uh, get involved with veterans groups. And you're a great example right there. Well, I want to thank you for your uh, very kind and exciting 
uh, exciting interview we did here. Uh, it's uh, really timely. People need to, to hear these stories. And you know, God bless uh, Mr. Kramer and, and others who've taken their lives. But we uh, need to talk people out of doing that. <laughs> if possible. And they hurt a lot of people in their world. Yeah. Thank you once again. Thank you, Jan. Appreciate it. <laughs>